0: connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We are in another week in this summer series called Summer Psalms. We're having some fun with this book. It's right in the middle of your Bible. It's got 150 chapters. If you know that, you know that there's no way we're going to cover all those during the summer. What we're trying to do is just give you a cross section. So we're picking different types of of psalms so that uh, we can get a flavor for it. Hopefully it interests you in diving into this incredible book in the Old Testament. And so if you would, we are in two different psalms today, Psalm 56 and Psalm 57. So if you'd grab your Bibles, head that direction while you go there. Let me just remind you of the bookmarks that are on your chairs. These, I hope that uh, you all grab these, take them home with you. They're a great reference. If you got uh, some friends that might be interested, grab them and take them to them as well. But this is a fantastic reference. Uh, We've just decided if you've never been in the Word of God, if that's never been part of your normal daily practice, we wanted to encourage you to do that this summer. And so every week we've given you a Psalm for the week. This week uh, we are taking a look at Psalm 46. It talks about God is our King. And so uh, we hope that you'll read that. Now, if you've never read the Bible before, uh, if you'll read Psalm 46 one time this week, we feel like that's a big step. And so we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, maybe you want to read it more, maybe a couple times this week, or maybe every day this week. But wherever you're at your walk, we want to encourage you to dive into the Word of God this week. And so that's what that's there for. Now on the back of that bookmark, this is why it's such a good reference, we've broken down all 150 Psalms into 10 different categories. And so it'll give you an idea of... of What the Psalms are about as you take a look at it. Now, if you're taking a look at that legend and you take a look at the two passages or the two chapters we're covering today, what you will find is that today we are covering a Psalm of vindication and a Psalm of lament. Now, that might sound like a downer. I don't want it to sound like a downer because here's the thing. I think you're going to be surprised at the way that David ends this today. Now, we were told at the very beginning of Psalm 56 and 57 that David is the author. He's the one that's actually writing uh, each of these. And we know, and this is the interesting part about it, he's writing it from a cave. Now, why is he in a cave? Well, in order to get that, we have to go clear back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, 22, 23, and 24 to read the story. If you're, if you're not familiar with the story, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you real quickly. David has been anointed to be the next king. Uh, so the prophet has come, he's anointed him, everyone knows that he is, he's going to take over the throne, but the problem is there's already somebody sitting on the throne. His name is Saul, King Saul is there, and uh, he brings David into the palace uh, for a lot of reasons. One is because David is a musician. David is not only a musician, but he's a shepherd. Uh, If you know the story, when he was younger, he killed Goliath. He's he's the one that shows up on the front lines and grabs five stones and goes into the valley and kills Goliath. And and so he's making a name for himself. And it's not because of anything he's done, it's because of what God is doing in and through him. So I just want to be very clear about that from the very beginning. But while he's in the palace, he's a good musician. So anytime Saul would have, uh, you know, headaches and things like that, David would play the harp. He would compose songs and it would ease his mind. Uh, another thing that David, you would think that this would be a whole different shift, but not only was he great at playing the harp, but get this, he was a great warrior, an amazing warrior. He becomes best friends with King Saul's son. His name's Jonathan. And these two men become so tight, uh, they go into battle together, they draw swords, they rush into the, the battlefield together. I mean, these guys are hardened warriors. And uh, I challenge any man in this room to read through Samuel 20, uh, 1 Samuel 21, 22, 23, and 24 and see if you don't walk away from that with your heart not going, I want a brother like that. I want somebody that's got my back. wants want somebody that loves me and my family that much that they'll tackle me on my way to sin, right? And David and, and Jonathan are best friends. Now, the problem arises when King Saul becomes jealous of David. They would have these great victories at war. And when they would march back into Jerusalem, the people would cheer and they would sing, Saul has killed his hundreds, but David is his thousands. Let's talk about incredible warriors, right? But this causes Saul to be jealous of David. And so he begins to plot to take David's life. Even though he knows that he's anointed to be the next king, he plots to take David's life. Uh, So much so, one night, uh, David is playing the harp and Saul picks up a spear and tries to skewer him with it, tries to stick him to the wall and misses him. Uh, Big red flag, right? Might be a problem in the relationship. And so uh, David runs and he tells Jonathan, hey, your dad's trying to kill me and Jonathan has trouble believing. He's like, no, he wouldn't do that, man. So let let me do a test. I'll find out. And if that's so, then you need to run for your life, right? And of course, long story short, Jonathan realizes that his father is in fact trying to kill David. And so he goes to his best friend, his brother-in-arms, and he says, you need to leave. You need to run for your life. And it's this amazing scene between the two of them. They they love each other as brothers, and and they make a covenant with one another. Look, I will always watch out for you. I got your back. I'll watch out for you. I got your back. And if anything were to happen to you, I would remember your extended family. Like, I'd take care of you is what they're saying. It's an amazing scene. But in this moment... David has to run for his life. So he takes off and he splits and he begins to run. And and the first place he runs to is a a town called Gath. Now the problem with that is Gath is actually occupied by one of their most hated enemies, the Philistines. And, And we're not told in Scripture why David's allowed to come in. I wonder sometimes if, if they're not like, hey, we're tired of this guy whooping us all the time. He's slaughtered a bunch of our men, and, and maybe he's, he's a great warrior. Maybe he's defecting. Maybe he's coming over to our side, and they take him to the commander, and the commander and king looks at him and goes, why would we let this guy in here? Like He's wiped out a bunch of our men. Why would we let him in here? And David realizes he might be in a little bit of pro, uh, trouble, and so he starts to act crazy. He's like, like he's painting on the walls, and you know he acts uh, he, he acts crazy. He let's spit dribble down his beard, and they start thinking like, well, he just lost his marbles. That's what's going on here. And so he sees an opportunity at that moment, and he runs again. He takes off, and, and where he goes is a place called the Caves of Adullam. It's up in the hills, and and there's this network of caves up there that uh, a lot of them are connected. And if you get in those caves, you can hide and run through some of those caves and and keep people from finding you. And I think David, growing up in that area, knew these caves, and he knew this would be a good place for him to hide. And that's why he goes there. But when we get to Psalm 56 and 57, we find Dave fleeing for his life, scared to death, because he knows uh, the king, the king of all people, is hunting him, trying to kill him. And we find him hiding in this cave. Scared for his life. Have you ever been there? Uh, Maybe you're there now. You find yourself hiding in a a cave of your life. Uh, Maybe it's um, a doctor's report that came back. And you don't get it. And you're struggling with it. And you find yourself really just fleeing the situation trying to make sense of it Uh, maybe it's actually people trying to get to you maybe they're not trying to kill you but they're trying to trying to take something from you trying to tear down your reputation and you find yourself scared hiding in a cave maybe it's a business that's crumbling and every decision you make seems to be the wrong decision Or, or maybe it's your finances you're working your tail off and you can't seem to make the next bill and you're wondering where that's going to come from and you find yourself in a cave. And then Are you there? Maybe, maybe you're there right now. What I want to do is I want to use these two psalms and I want to take a look at what Dave does in the cave. Um, David gives us, I think, some great examples of things that you and I can do when we find ourselves in the caves of life and how to respond to those things. Uh, let's jump into it. Psalm uh, 56, verse 1 says, Oh God, have what? Mercy. Have mercy on me. You don't know, want, want to know the interesting thing about this? When he writes 57, it sounds exactly the same. This is what he says, have mercy on me, oh God, have mercy On me, First verse in both chapters starts off the same way, and he calls for mercy three times. Um, It's interesting because, you know, mercy is not deserved, right? Like, you can't earn mercy. And we all need this. We all need to cry out to God for mercy because, honestly, the truth is, without God's mercy, we wouldn't even be here right now. Without God's mercy, you and I, we would have no hope. We wouldn't have anything to to hope for. We wouldn't be able to experience joy in life without God's mercy. Without God's mercy, we wouldn't have a future or anything to look forward to. Not just in this life, but for eternity, we would be lost without God's mercy. And David knew that in that moment, he needed God's mercy. And he also knew that sometimes when you ask the God of mercy for mercy, not only do you get mercy, but many times you get grace with that. Do you know the difference? Because I think we confuse the two sometimes. Mercy is punishment that you deserve that you don't receive. Grace is blessings that you don't deserve but yet you receive. God is a God of mercy and a God of grace. David is fleeing for his life. He's hiding in his cave and he's asking for mercy. He goes on in verse 1 and 2 to say, Oh God, have mercy on me for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. He goes on in verse five to say, they're always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step eager to kill me. Do you hear the struggle in his voice? Do you hear the fear, the, the, the trouble that he's in? Maybe, maybe you're there, maybe you've been there. You can recognize it. See, I think one of the things that we need to do when we find ourselves in these caves and we're struggling, we're going through trials or tribulation or whatever it might be, I think you need to first figure out where that's coming from. Because I think struggles or trouble in our life come down three different avenues. First one, I think many times we bring it upon ourselves. It's by our own decision because we can make some stupid decisions, right on? Yeah, Uh, I, I have a spiritual gift of making stupid decisions, it's one of those things that we do and what happens in that moment is we suffer the consequences of those decisions that's one avenue another avenue where we struggle where we suffer sometimes is when it comes down that line of just a broken world right we live in a messed up broken world and there's evil in this world and sometimes we suffer we struggle because of that brokenness of our world it wasn't our fault we didn't ask for it it was just uh, just thrust upon us and that's where we're at. Uh, third avenue is spiritual warfare. You know you have an enemy that's out for you? Do you get that? And we're going to talk more about that later because he, he actually refers back to it later on. So we'll get to that one. But it's usually our decisions. It's a broken world or it's spiritual warfare. And we need to ask, where is this coming from? David knew, and you know because uh, of 1 Samuel 21 through 24, that it's not because of his own decision. He was actually doing what he was told to do. Like he was following what God wanted him to do in his life. He was just trying to do the right thing. And now this guy's trying to kill him. And he refers to it as being hounded. Some of your translations will say, I feel trampled. They've trampled on me. Or I'm oppressed. And maybe you can relate to that. That's why he's asking for mercy. You ever feel that way? You ever feel trampled or hounded or oppressed? if you're there, let me just tell you this. I want you to know this today. God knows what you're going through. He knows what you're experiencing. Uh, take a look at verse 7 and 8. Don't let them get away with their wickedness and your anger, oh God. Bring them down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. I love that verse. It talks about God knowing everything that I'm going through, collecting, collecting tears in your bottle, recorded each one in your book. Why would he say that? I read some commentary on this a while back, and it shook me a little bit because I, I remember growing up, and I, I remember hearing how this ends. We, we know how it ends, right? Um, when you get to the end, it says that God's going to make everything new, Right? Uh, Actually, Revelation 21.4 says it this way. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Then your heart just goes, I want that. I desire that. I want that. And when I was growing up, I remember thinking, that's someday. That's way off in the future. But man, what happens today happens today. This stinks today. All this stuff I have to deal with right now, this stinks And yet we're told he puts all of our tears in a bottle. He records each one. And this commentary said this. um, That day that Revelation is talking about, that God collects every one of our tears. He knows each one. And on that day, not only is he going to correct that, but he's going to correct everything in the past. Like he's going to correct every wrong that was ever done. He's going to heal every hurt, even the ones that you experience today. He's going to fix every broken thing even those things that are broken now now that's great for someday but what about right now right I love that because that means someday those things are going to be corrected but what do we do when we're in the cave what do we do right now when we're fearing when we're we're struggling when we're running we're fleeing what do we do now well I think the first thing that we need to do if you're in a cave this morning we need to start by asking for God's mercy we need to follow David's example and ask for that mercy. Now, so often when you read through the Psalms, you'll run into something that they they refer to as Selah. Or in the NLT, it says uh, interlude. And a lot of commentary uh, on this says, well, it's there because that was a musical instrumental. It's a a break in the music just for the, I don't know, guitar solo or a piano solo, whatever it is, right? Some scholars believe that it's there just to emphasize what was just said, to let it hang so that you can focus on it so that you can just marinate in that now I tend to think it's both I think it's a break and it plays and you, and you let it ring in your ear and we're going to follow that example this morning and so what we're going to do is we're just going to spend a little time in worship and if you're in a cave today now is a great time just to spend in time, just, God, where is this coming from? Is this, is this my own decision Are these consequences? Is this a broken world? Is this Satan trying to get me down? Is that what's going on? And in this moment, as we, as we sit, as we enjoy this time together, I would encourage you to sing along with the band. The song we're singing today talks about uh, His Mercy Covers Me. And maybe pray that God would just grant His mercy in your situation. What do you do when you're in a cave? Fleeing for your life, feeling trampled, feeling oppressed, what do you do? Well, first thing I think we ask for mercy. Um, It's what we just did. Uh, But I think another thing that we do is we should trust. We need to learn how to trust God with the situation. Trust that he knows about it. Trust that he's got a plan to get us through it. Uh, Take a look at this going on in verse 3. It says, but when I'm afraid... I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? It goes on in verse nine to say, my enemies will retreat when I call to you for help for this I what? This I what? Not just hope, not speculate. I know, I know. It's foundational. God is on my side. God is on my side. Have you ever thought about that? That you have a God that knows you, that's for you? Uh, F.B. Meyer, when he was writing his commentary on this section of Psalms, this is what he said. He said, It is a marvelous thing to consider. God is literally willing to perform all things in us and for us if only we let him. The mischief is that most of us insist on performing all things in the energy of our own resolve and in the strength of our own power. I don't know about you, but that's what I do. I try to take it into my own hands. I try to control the situation. And I don't trust God like I should, especially when I'm in the cave, especially when I'm up against it and people are trying to take my life, take things from me, right? We find ourselves wanting to take control and not trusting God with it. We need to ask for God's mercy. We need to trust him. But David also talks about something else that's actually pretty phenomenal in this situation because he is still in the cave and in this not only is he asking for mercy and trusting in God but we find him also praising God he finishes uh, chapter 56 this way on a high note he says I praise God for what he has promised yes I praise the Lord for what he has promised I trust in God so why should I be afraid what can mere mortals do for me didn't it seem like we just read that Uh, We kind of did. It's interesting when you look at chapter 56, because verses 3 and 4 and 10 and 11 mirror each other. It's almost the exact same thing. He says, I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and I will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. Are you you catching what he's saying here? He he says... um, you've rescued me. You've kept my feet from slipping. Can I just ask a question? I'm going to ask this a few times as we go through. Has his circumstances changed? Is he still in the cave? Has God showed up and done his thing yet? No, none of that. And yet, even in this moment, he's praising him. He's trusting him for what he will do. David has not changed. The circumstances has not changed. He has not been rescued yet, and yet he's still saying, look, um, You've rescued me from death. You've kept my feet from slipping. And because of that, I can walk in your presence. I know. I know it hasn't changed. I know it doesn't look any brighter today. But I'm trusting in you, God. I praise you because you are God that can be trusted. Uh, Another thing that he shows us that you should do when you're in the cave is to wait, to wait on the Lord. And when we wait on the Lord, there's this thing that happens that it's not about pray and delay. Okay, it's not just about waiting and never doing anything. But it's the idea of I'm going to sit, I'm going to wait on the Lord, and when the Lord acts, I'm going to recognize it. Or when He calls me to move, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be obedient to whatever God calls me to do. Uh, we see this in fifty-seven verses one through three. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He goes on in verse three to say, he will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. And there's a, an interlude there, a Selah. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. David says, look, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait on you. I know you know what's going on. I know you have a better plan than anything that I could ever formulate. And so, God, I'm going to wait on you because I trust in you. See, God is the only refuge, the only true refuge for our soul. And David knows that well. Uh, and then he goes on in verse 4 to say this I'm surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, whose tongues cut like swords. This is all language he's very familiar with. Remember, he's a warrior. He's been in many battles. He knows what those spears and arrows and and swords look like. And yet in this moment, it's interesting, he's describing those who are chasing him, who are trying to take his life as fierce lions. You know, you have an enemy like that? You have an enemy that wants to take your life? And what I find very interesting is he doesn't want to just take your life, he wants to take your soul. He wants to keep you ineffective, He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your relationship with God and with other people. And and what I find fascinating is David is referring to his enemies as lions. And yet, when the apostle Peter writes 1 Peter, he does the same thing when he talks about our enemy. Do you remember this? It's in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He refers to him as a lion as well. Uh, I've heard it said that the greatest trick that the devil devil ever played was convincing us that he doesn't exist. And I don't know where you stand in your walk with Christ. I don't know uh, what you think of Satan. But let me just tell you, he is real. You have a real enemy. There's real spiritual warfare going on. And you're in the middle of it, whether you'd like to admit it or not. Now, do I say that to scare you? No, I'm just saying that to wake you up because you shouldn't be scared of it. Why? Because I want you to remember that the battle is the Lord's. It's not yours anyway. The battle's in God's hands. When we place our trust in Him, we trust Him to take care of the battle. And here's here's a great news uh, about it. You have a greater lion on your side than the one that's against you, the Lion of Judah. Revelation 5.5 tells us, but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look to the lion look, uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. See, we've read the end of the book. We know how the story ends. Right on? You have a greater lion fighting for you than the one that's coming to try to devour your soul." David continues in verse five and six, "Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. And we have another interlude. Now, I want to share with you something I think is so key, because from this point on, if you read these straight through, it almost seems like David turns a corner. He goes from, man, my enemies have mercy on me. Um, You know, these people are trying to take my life. They're like fierce lions. People are trying to, you know, set traps for me. I'm in distress. I feel like I'm trampled. I feel like I, you know, I'm hounded. He goes from all of that and he turns a corner and my question was, why? Why in the middle of 57 do we see this great turnaround? And my wife and I were just over in the Holy Land last March and we drove by this area. Uh, the, the caves of Adullam are up on a, on a big hill and all these caves go through those, these hills up there. And it didn't hit me here until just recently, but uh, if you take a look at where these are at, and if you were in one of the caves and you walked outside of the cave, uh, this is what you would see today. I'm sure it looked a little bit da- different in Dave's time, but the area is still the same, right? So you have the, the caves of Adullam. And here's what I want to point out to you. If Dave would have just got up, walked outside of the cave... And looked, what he would have been overlooking is the Valley of Elah. Now that might not mean something to you unless you go back and you do a little bit of research on your biblical history. And what you'll find out is when David was a young boy, there was a giant by the name of Goliath who was threatening God's people. And David went into the valley of Elah with five stones and killed a giant. And years later, here he is hiding in a cave. And if he had just got up and walked outside and looked, he would have been reminded of one of the greatest things that God ever did in and through him. Um, another thing that we need to do while we're, while we're in our own caves is we need to remember. We need to remember If you're like me, you have this habit of praying about things, God shows up in a big way, answers the prayer, and then you just move on to the next thing, right? This is what I do. I'm horrible about remembering, and I need to remember, because otherwise I find myself in a cave and not remembering what God has done in the past. We need to remember his faithfulness. We need to remember his power, his love, his promises, so that we might be able to take steps forward in the next day to come out of the cave, To conquer those giants that are in front of us. Um, Today, we're going to be taking communion. Why do we take communion? To remember, right? To remember that you have a God that loved you so much that he stepped out of heaven. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross, gave his life so that you could be forgiven of sins. Even when we don't deserve it. And then he rose again so that we could have eternal life with him. We need to remember um, something I would encourage you to do. If this is a struggle for you, you find yourself in a cave, I want you maybe just to start a prayer journal. Start logging down what you're praying about. And then when God answers those, I want you to go back in there and I want you to write how God answered it and the date so that you can refer back to it later on so that when you're in those caves, you can step outside of the cave and see the Valley of Elah. You need this. Write down your answered prayers. Uh, can I share a very relevant one one uh, with you? One that just happened recently? Last week, if you were here last week, I stepped up on this platform right at the end of the service. Remember this? Anyone? Okay. Um, and I shared with you that we were not doing well. Remember this? Can I just be honest with you? I was in a cave. I'd been in a cave for a couple of months leading up to that. When you have a church that you're supposed to steward and care for and you have a staff of 10 people and their families and you're getting to a place where you're wondering if you're even going to be able to make the next payroll. You're in a cave. And I got up here and I shared with you, I said, here's where we're at. This is what's going on. And God showed up in and through you. We had a lot of people last week that signed up for Automatic uh, recurring gifts. Um, We had people come in and just donate money, uh, one-time gifts. And I'm looking at the summer now going, I think we're going to be just fine as we get through the summer. We are worried about getting through the summer. Yes, that's that's God moving and working in and through you. And and so one of the things that I would say is um, David knew that. He stepped outside the cave and he saw that valley and he knew, no, wait a minute, God's bigger than my problems. He can handle these things. He remembered God's faithfulness and we need to do the same thing. Look at how he finishes this off though. This is the corner uh, where he turns and he begins to praise God for who he is. Verse 7 through 11, it says, my heart is what? confident my heart is confident he wasn't confident leading up to this and now it says my heart is confident oh god my heart is confident he repeats it no wonder i can sing your praises wake up my heart wake up O lyre and harp i will wake the dawn with my song i will thank you lord among all the people i will sing your praises among your nations among the nations, for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens, May your glory shine over all the earth." He says, "I will thank you, Lord, among the people. I'll sing your praise among the nations. Again, let me ask, Is he out of the cave yet? Has anything changed? Has the circumstances changed? Has his problems gone away? No. But yet he knows. He knows that God can be trusted. Um, He says, my heart is confident. I trust in you, Lord. He he asked for mercy. He trusted God. He praised him. He waited. He remembered. And then I I would say another thing we can do in our cave is we need to watch. Just watch. Watch for what God's going to do. What God can and will do. Watch for a move of God in your situation. I love the line where he says, I will wake the dawn with my song. I love that. Like, I'm, I'm going to be here tomorrow. I know that because my God is faithful. And I'm going to wake the dawn with my song. You know what he's saying? A new day is coming. This day might not be very good, but I know a better day is coming. He says, look, even though I don't know what tomorrow holds, I know who holds tomorrow. And I trust in him. And because of that, I'm coming out of this cave. I'm going to be okay. Nothing can touch me. David is still in the cave, but he's looking forward to what God is going to do tomorrow. When you're in the cave, ask for mercy, trust, praise him, wait on God, remember what he's done, and watch for God to move, and watch what happens. I believe some of you today, you're in a cave, and God wants to show you something absolutely incredible and amazing in your life. I hope that you'll be able to come back maybe even as early as tomorrow and say, look at what God did. Watch for what God will do tomorrow. But in advance, even if we're still in the cave, we can still praise his name. We can wake the dawn with our song because of who our God is. Would you stand with us? We're going to pray and we're going to worship together and take communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for each person in this room. And God, I, I especially lift up those here that would fit our story today. They're, they're hiding in a cave. They're, they feel hounded, trampled, oppressed for whatever reason. And Lord, we know that you are a God who knows what that reason is. You, you know the details of their life and I'm asking that you would just move in a mighty way. Would you show them who you are? And God, I pray that you would continue to draw us close in these situations. Help us, give us the courage, Lord, to step out of the cave, to trust in your faithfulness and to watch what it is that you're gonna do. And we look forward to that new day. Not because we're amazing and great and awesome people, but because we serve an awesome God. God, we give you all these things. We ask that your name would be glorified above everything else. Continue to use this to mold us and shape us into people that look like you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said.